Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you all to Red Brush Christian Church. Uh, my name's Alex. I'm the Connections Minister here. So if this is your first time, uh, don't get used to me. We'd love to have you back next week, but uh, that's when Ben will be preaching, not me. But don't worry. Uh, we didn't give Ben too much of a day off. He's in service today enjoying this message, but he gets to be upstairs in Kids Zone next service helping out. So we're going to keep him, we're going to keep him busy today. Uh, but we're excited to have you here. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to stop by our Welcome Center uh, later on this morning before you leave uh, so we can get a chance to say hello, introduce ourselves to you, and we have a gift for you as well. Uh, I also was informed some exciting news this morning. Uh, Penny let us know that the playground is officially complete and ready for us to enjoy. Uh, how exciting is that? All the rock work has been done. The fencing is done. Uh, it looks incredible. If you've not seen it, uh, stop by that area today before you leave. Take a look at it. It just looks incredible. And I know that kids are going to enjoy it for years and years to come. Uh, and in fact, some of them already have because they've been out there all weekend. I've seen cars there this weekend with families enjoying our playground. So uh, we hope that it's a blessing not only to our church but to our community uh, as we move forward. As we open up today, I want to invite you to grab a Bible, turn it to 2 Timothy. Uh, we'll be continuing on in our series looking through that book uh, of the Bible. And I want to begin this morning by asking uh, what may be kind of a strange question, uh, but what legacy are you going to leave? What will your legacy be in this life? Maybe that's something that you've already thought about. Maybe it's something you've never thought about. Maybe it's something you don't want to think about. Uh, but what kind of legacy will you leave? Memorial Day weekend always brings up uh, the time where we remember those uh, who gave their lives, giving the ultimate sacrifice in combat. And I think for me, I don't have a, a family member or a loved one or a friend who went into battle and never came home. So in my mind, when I think of Memorial Day, my mind always goes to the tomb of the unknown soldier. And let me just say, if you are here this morning and, and you're a veteran who has lost uh, a friend in battle, or if you're uh, a family member of someone who has been lost in battle, our hearts are with you this weekend and always. Uh, you're in our prayers. Um, and we're grateful for those who have fought valiant, valiantly in the ugliest of circumstances and given their life. But when a loved one's lost, we take time to consider what we might put on their, their tombstone. And often it, it kind of encompasses the legacy they've left. And as I said, my mind this weekend usually goes towards the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, they, they put this inscription, which is fitting. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. We don't know who they are, uh, but we recognize and honor them for what they've done. And we know that God knows and sees their sacrifice. Often as we, we think about our tombstones and, or those of, of a loved one who's gone before us, we begin to think about what their legacy was and what that will say. When he was asked what he wanted left on his grave, uh, John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, 
uh, would tell his family he wanted one simple thing. He kept the peace. And for a president who uh, served during a time of great anguish and strife between the uh, United States and the uh, Soviet Union, that is what he sought to do. Uh, others, uh, other famous people have chosen other routes. Betty Davis was known for working her way and fighting her way through the movie industry. And she put, she did it the hard way, which encompasses the, the ethic that she had. Then, of course, there's the oddballs, and who would be more odd than Edgar Allan Poe, who simply put, quote, the raven, nevermore. Comedians, of course, try and take one last chance for a joke, while others seek to offer hope. Family of Martin Luther King Jr., after struggling and fighting for equality and, and seeking a world that would be free of prejudice and segregation, his grave quotes the spiritual song that he quotes during his I Have a Dream speech, reading, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. So what will your legacy be? Maybe we don't want to think in terms of a, a gravestone, and I understand that. It's not an enjoyable image to think of. But I think it's important that we consider the kind of legacy that we are going to leave. And I think it's fitting for us to discuss that this morning because as we continue on in 2 Timothy, I think that's exactly what Paul is doing. See, Paul had spent the last 30 years of his life as a missionary, planning churches, going throughout the known world, sharing the gospel. He traveled from Arabia and the Arabian Peninsula all the way up into modern-day Turkey, to Greece, to Italy, possibly making it as far as Spain on four different missionary journeys. He endured hardship after hardship. His life was, was difficult during this time. We, we talked some last week about what he received, the, the beatings he received, the mockings, the verbal abuse, and time in prison, in Caesarea, in Ephesus, and multiple times in Rome. And that's where Paul finds himself as he's writing this letter to Timothy. Paul, in prison in Rome in the late, mid to late 60s, knowing that he had a death sentence, that his life was coming to an end, and he takes time to write the final three letters of his life. The books of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. 2nd Timothy being the last. We refer to these as the pastoral epistles. Both Titus and Timothy were ministers that Paul had trained up and equipped and set forth in different areas uh, to preach. Titus was in the, on the island of Crete and Timothy in Ephesus. And, and so these two men, in a sense, are carrying on the legacy of Paul. And Paul is taking these final moments of his life, these final days, to send them encouragement, to send them his final training, his final instruction to say, continue on with the gospel. So he sends Timothy this letter, these two letters, uh, knowing that Timothy is in a difficult spot. See, Timothy finds himself in the town of Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of the larger, more important cities of the known world at the time. Imagine, if you will, a modern-day 
Tokyo or London or New York City, uh, Shanghai, these sprawling locations with diverse populations, diverse kinds of trains of thought. Ephesus was that kind of city in that day. Population at the time was between 250 and 500,000, which is a lot for a small town like Louisville, but, you know, in our modern day, it doesn't seem like that crazy. But when you consider Rome, the center of the universe at that point was somewhere between 500,000 and a million. You You tend to get a sense of how large and important this city was. Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, not the continent of Asia. Uh, Think of Turkey on the map, and that's where Ephesus is, and it was the capital of that, which gave it a lot of political influence. It was the center part of the political life of that region, second probably only to Rome. It was also a port town. It was there on the sea, and so that made it an important trade route as goods were coming from Rome and to other areas or from other areas up into Rome, they would flow through Ephesus before making their way on to their next destination. This brought a considerable amount of wealth as well as, you can imagine, a myriad of different types of people. On top of all that, it was, as we mentioned last week, if you were here, a religious melting pot. It was home to a temple for worshiping the Roman Empire, or the Roman Emperor. Uh, See, the Romans believed, that, and the the Greeks before them, that their leader, their their emperor, their, their whatever they had, their grand leader was a god. So Ephesus was a place where people would travel to worship the Roman Emperor. Not only that, uh, if you were here last week, we also talked about how there was a great amount of black magic, dark magic, occult practices. Many of those people at that time, uh, when Paul was there, ended up burning their books, which caused a great uh, upheaval, uproar. Uh, But you had a lot of this sort of thought as well, that people can dabble into magic and and occult practices to, to achieve power. And of course, there is the temple to the, the Greek god Artemis, also known to the Romans as Diana. Now, this was an important structure, an important part of the Ephesus Ephesian life. Uh, in 356 uh, BC, that temple was burned down, and, and it was so important that the, the leader of the Greeks at the time, Alexander the Great, He offered to have it paid for because he couldn't imagine a world in which the temple of Artemis did not exist. But the Ephesian people declined. And this speaks to the religious sense that these people had because their reasoning was it would be improper for one God to build a shrine to another God. So after Alexander the Great had passed on a number of years later, the Ephesians used their own wealth, not the wealth of the Greek Empire, they used their own wealth to rebuild the temple bigger and better than before. And the temple of Artemis is known today as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
and its grandeur and beauty was, was so much that when people would go and see the different wonders of that time, when they got to the Temple of Artemis, they would say that the other six were not even wonderful in comparison. They would question why the other six were even considered in the same light as the Temple of Artemis. So this gives us kind of a a brief snapshot of what is going on in this community. We have political power. We have considerable amount of wealth. We have uh, the blending of different sorts of worship. And yet, Paul has come and planted a church here, and now Timothy is seeking to preach the gospel of Jesus in such a place. This is the climate that Timothy finds himself in. And so Paul writes him these final instructions for Timothy. We'll pick up in verse 13 and 14 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So Paul's central message here to Timothy, as we saw as a carryover from last week. Last week he's saying, even though I'm imprisoned, even though I'm persecuted, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. He continues that message on here by saying, hold on to the sound teaching that I've given you. You've received sound teaching from your grandmother, from your mother, and then from me. Continue on in that sound teaching. Don't be ashamed of the gospel and hold firm to the sound doctrine. Now we're going to see in a moment why this is so important uh, to Paul. But this is a central theme of Paul's writing years before when he wrote to the church in Ephesus in general. Paul wanted to make sure that the church that Timothy was taking care of and leading was organized and built on a firm foundation. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, And he, being Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we, to build up the body, all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. See, he was concerned about their ability to to have the the correct teaching, to have the correct uh, doctrine being given to them. (coughs) Excuse me. He wanted to make sure that their foundation was firm. Why is that? Well, Paul knew that community. He lived there for multiple years setting up this church, spending time in prison. He saw what the church was like, and he knew their temptation. He goes on to say this. Then we will no longer be children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. See, it's about the teaching they would receive from other religious people coming in to try and influence their lives. He says, we don't want you to be pulled away into false teaching. By human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, 
Let us grow in every way into him. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, Paul was concerned with making sure that Timothy, as the leader of this church, held fast to sound doctrine. He tells the Ephesians he doesn't want them to be tossed around. He doesn't want anyone being brought in that would be teaching unsound biblical teaching. He knows uh, the way that religions were blended in that area. He knows that, that people would worship Artemis and then the next day go and worship the Roman God. And then the next day they would worship or, or practice occult magic. And he knows that the antidote to this problem is not to be accepting, not to be inviting and welcoming of that sort of thing, but instead to draw a hard line in the sand and say, no, this is not what we believe. Notice how Paul says it's to be done in verse 13. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching you've heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's not simply talking about making sure that what we know in our heads is true. That's simply part of it, but it's not just that. Paul is speaking for the, the need for what we believe and what we know in our head to, to travel down and to affect every area of our life. It's the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Lived out in faith and love. Faith being the knowledge of what we know and love being the way in which we live it out. This idea of living out our faith uh, has become almost a cliche in the church. Uh, we kind of say those things and they kind of roll off our tongue. They, they tend to roll uh, off our mind even. We, we hear it and we're just so used to it. We forget for a moment just how difficult it can be. Paul knows how easy it is, or how uneasy it is. Think about his life and all the persecution he's endured. His instruction to Timothy in verse 14 speaks to this. Live it out in faith and love in Christ Jesus by guarding the good deposit through the Holy Spirit. What is the good deposit? It's the gospel message. It's the salvation that is found not just for us, but he's saying, Timothy, guard your salvation. First and foremost, what is given to you through the Holy Spirit? You must guard that. He says, do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not able to accomplish this on our own. And Paul knows that if we seek to do this by our own power, Bad things will come. In fact, Paul goes on to tell a cautionary tale. See, he knows that Timothy is at a crossroads. When he's gone, this mentor, Paul being this mentor to Timothy, when, when Paul is gone, Timothy will be tempted more than ever. And he knows that the crossroads that Timothy is at is the crossroads that we find ourselves in today. Like the culture that Timothy lived in at the time, our culture wants us to believe that we can pick and choose what belief uh, 
we hold. What belief works best for us? For them, if they wanted to worship Artemis, great. Want to add in some dark magic, some occult practices, some necromancy? Why not? Just make sure you don't forget to also pay worship to the Roman emperor. You see, today, we seek out what makes us feel the best. Self-worship is a huge part of our culture. What do we want to be today? What do we, what do we want to become? We just need to follow our feelings. What makes us feel like our authentic self? Just remember, we're all on the same path towards enlightenment. And all religions are equally valid. Paul says, not so fast. What happens when you're not led by sound doctrine? What happens when you're not holding firm to the biblical teaching that is given to us? Paul goes on to, to write this. Verse 15 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Sorry, that's 2 Corinthians. You know that all of us, all of those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. We may not realize it just by reading that. It seems kind of... No, but you, you get that sense of despair. He feels the weight of being abandoned by so many that he knows. What it seems to be is that those, there was some from that area that when Paul continued on, went with him, and when things got bad, they abandoned him. And things got bad for Paul. If you want to read more about that, uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 13 talks about the different things that Paul endured. But he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia, in the province of Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so even we despaired of life itself. It got so bad for Paul and his companions that they believed... They truly believed they were going to die. And Paul goes on to say that uh, this, this happened so that Paul and his companions would press into God and put their hope firmly in him. But for some of them, that's not what happened. For some of them, they saw this as an opportunity to abandon Paul, to get out of there. And I don't know what happened specifically with these two men, uh, but of all the people that abandoned Paul, they are the ones that he mentions by name. Imagine that as your legacy. This is the only time that we have these two men's name in Scripture. And what's their legacy left to us? These men abandoned me. 
You see, when the beatings and the imprisonments came, the lack of food, shipwrecks, verbal abuse, hardships, it drove these men away from Paul back into a more comfortable culture that told them, you can believe in Jesus. Just don't forget these other gods as well. They chose worldly comforts over true salvation that's found in Jesus. And Paul knew that this was one path that would be a temptation for Timothy. He contrasts it as kind of this fork in the road. Timothy, if you don't hold on to this sound doctrine, you'll remember all of these men who came with me. They've abandoned me. But he contrasts it with this other option. Remaining steadfast through difficulty, adhering to sound doctrine, upholding the faith, we get this. Verses 16 through 18. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. See, the antithesis of Phagellus and Hermogenes is Onesiphorus. And trust me, I'm naming them exactly right. Uh, Just don't question. I practiced all week. So while all of those who were with Paul abandoned him, it says that Onesiphorus sought him out. He went looking for Paul. While Paul was in prison in Rome, Onesiphorus sought him out, seeking to, to find him, seeking to bring comfort to him, seeking to bring him aid. And the implication that Paul gives us here that Timothy probably already knew is that Onesiphorus gave up his life for that. You see, anytime he's mentioned here, it's in one of two ways. It's either in the past tense or it's by mentioning the household at large. It says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For, for what he did, he refreshed me. He wasn't ashamed. There's a finality to what Paul is saying that Onesiphorus did. As if it's not an ongoing thing. Paul speaks of him receiving mercy on that day, being the day of judgment that is to come. See, in a culture that can accept any kind of worship... As long as the worship is inclusive of others, there's no room for the worship of a Christ who says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Paul is asking Timothy, and it's the same question we answer today. When we're tempted to soften our stance, to shy away from the gospel, will we? What will we do? Will we be like Phagellus and Hermogenes? Will we say, you know, that, that's, that's great, but I don't want to offend anyone else with the truth. In fact, you know, who, who's to say what truth really is? Will we go down the path of abandoning sound teaching and sound doctrine? Or will we do like Onesiphorus? 
Will we remain firm in our faith? Will we say, even if it costs me my job, if it costs me friendships, if it costs me loved ones, if it costs me family members, I won't abandon the gospel. I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I will hold fast to sound teaching. I will lean into the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given me to accomplish these things. Jesus asks us, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but abandons his soul? That's the path that is offered to us still today. You want acceptance? Do you want to be uh, given all the things that you want by the world? Soften your stance. You don't believe the gospel. You believe a gospel. Paul's saying no. Hold firm to the gospel and to the sound doctrine that you've been given and guard it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which path will you take today? What legacy are you going to leave? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have sound teaching, that we have your words preserved, handed down to us, that we may open them up daily, that we may consider what is taught, that we may be encouraged and challenged. God, in a culture that increasingly every day wants us to believe that there's no truth, that we can be who we want to be, we have to follow our hearts, simply get to decide uh, what is true for each and every one of us, God. Your word says that it is truth. In fact, the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. God, we have truth given to us. May we not back down from it. May we not give in. May we stand firm in the sound teaching and in the gospel that offers us salvation. God, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray each and every one of these things. Amen.